0: That's ljsinnercircle.com, or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Okay, so this is a jazz podcast, so obviously we talk a lot about jazz education, how do you play jazz, how do you get better at jazz, and of course, what jazz should you listen to and really digest in order to become a better jazz musician. However, I do not only listen to jazz music, I actually enjoy listening to an array of of different styles of music and in some cases i choose to listen to other styles of music over jazz that being said i often find that these other styles of music influence the way i play jazz as well so today i'm going to go over some of the non-jazz music that i listen to and how it's influenced me let's do this thing Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host. He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. All right, what's up, everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, so musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. By the way, this is your first time listening to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you're someone who is kind of newer to jazz... From the outside looking in, this could be a very interesting episode for you because I'm going to kind of show you how I both how I arrived at listening to jazz, the music I listened to before I started listening to jazz, but also the stuff that I still listen to today or that I'm interested in that is not jazz and how it actually. Relates to jazz to me or actually helps my jazz playing or influences my jazz playing. Because sometimes, if you're newer to jazz, you get this sense from the jazz people that's me and a lot of other people listening to the show that it's this all encompassing thing that it's all or nothing. You're either 100% into the jazz and you're only listening to the jazz and it's all immersive or nothing at all. And Yes, of course, when we're learning a new language, which obviously we've heard that parallel before, right? Music being a language. Yeah, that full immersion is really helpful and important, but there's so much that we can grab from other styles of music. And the way you play jazz now, undoubtedly is inspired by the music you were listening to before and also the music that is not jazz as well. And we want those to influence each other. And I think about... Great musicians like Brad Meldow, for example. So Brad Meldow is, uh, I guess you would call him for lack of better of a term, a modern jazz piano player, right? So kind of came into prominence in the 1990s, still playing today. And he's covered a lot, a lot of rock songs and singer-songwriter songs. So for example, he's done a lot of Radiohead covers and Nirvana covers and stuff like that. And the way he plays them and influences them with his jazz training creates an amazing result. But undoubtedly, the music that he composes and creates and the way in which he plays, you feel that influence from those other styles of music. And that's one way also to develop an original sound. We talk about that a lot, and that's a big dream for everybody. Like First, the dream is, can I just sound great improvising over top of chord changes, like my favorite jazz musicians. But the next level up from there is I want to sound original. I want people to listen to me and sound and say, wow, that sounds like you, right? And that doesn't sound like, I don't know, fill in the blank, Bill Evans or Wes Montgomery, but it sounds like me. So one way to do that, obviously, is by making sure that you have an expansive influence of musical styles um both within jazz and outside of jazz okay so let's kind of go back for a second like what was brent that's me (laughs) speaking to myself in the third person what was i listening to before i even arrived at jazz before i even started listening to jazz right and how how has that influenced me today okay so let's start at the very 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 beginning I grew up in a fairly religious household. Uh, that religion being Protestant Christianity. Okay, so um, the style of music that my parents were exposing me to is called CCM. And so, for those who aren't familiar or weren't uh, aren't aren't weren't raised in that particular culture, it's. Contemporary Christian music, that's what CCM stands for. Now, um, I'm gonna make a statement and my statement here isn't to offend anybody, nor am I necessarily making a religious statement here at all, but I personally do not today enjoy listening to this style of music, okay? I don't enjoy the style. Again, it's I'm not making a statement about religion, so no one get offended by this. I'm just simply saying, I don't enjoy the style that is CCM music and it is a style of music that uh does have a very particular sound to it okay it just it just has a particular sound to it now that's not to say that I don't think there are there aren't valuable Musical things within CCM music. There are certainly things within CCM music that have value. In fact, there's very few styles of music that I personally have listened to where I would say there is nothing of value there, right? It just, it's not the way I usually operate. Like, I usually can see that there is value in something and usually when a, gr- a large group of people like a style of music or really anything, there's a reason for it, right? So anyways, uh, I grew up listening to a lot of that music, but my brother and I had Walkmans, right? So this is back when, you know, there's like little, you know, tapes, cassette tapes, and uh, also a radio attached to that and and headphones, right? So secretly. My brother and I were listening to lots of other styles of music, right? So we were listening to lots of classic rock, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, um uh Boston, um you know, uh Pearl Jam, uh Soundgarden, Nirvana, Foo Fighters, you know, some of that that earlier the, the 90s and the in the 2000s rock. We were even even listening to you know heavier stuff, Linkin Park, you know, some of those early 2000s uh, rock groups that were around. So we were listening to a lot of that stuff, right? So I was listening to um, all kinds of this, you know, rock music and especially some of the classic rock music that I was listening to. That's kind of what was starting to go like, oh, this virtuosic This element of music is really interesting to me. Right. That's not something. um, And again, I'm not making a statement about anything, but in CCM music, there's not a lot of that in there. Right. Not that music needs to have virtuosity to be great. That's not also what I'm saying. But that particularly was of interest to of interest to me right so hearing Slash play an amazing solo on Sweet Child of Mine or you know any of that stuff that to me was really cool right I like that stuff in fact that was the kind of music that was really inspiring me to want to play uh, to get a guitar right you know and to play music so A lot of that music I was listening to, and I was learning a lot about rhythm, too, from some of the heavier metal stuff that was playing on the radio when I was a kid. So, learning about, um, you know, stuff that didn't necessarily have a lot of harmonic complexity to it, but a lot of rhythmic complexity to it, right? So, kind of moving on from that, and this was especially when I was, you know... In middle school, I'm I'm throwing out dates here. I'm not entirely sure, but middle school, but definitely going into high school, right? I I did start listening to a lot more progressive and technical heavier music. So, for example, I loved Metallica. Metallica was something a lot of my friends. Were getting me into all my musician buddies, so I was listening to, you know, Master of the Puppets, right? That kind of stuff. Again, very virtuosic music. I mean, just think about that song, Master of the Puppets. If you know that one, it's a very progressive song. So, in other words, when we talk about progressive rock, we're talking about music that, yes, might have a verse and a chorus like a traditional style you know, rock or pop song would have, but there's a lot more moving parts and changing themes that are going on throughout the music, right? So I started really getting into like Metallica, for example, but the band that I really, really became a super fan of and religiously studied their music was dream theater so dream theater is a progressive uh metal band i would say so rock or metal depends on honestly what era of of their music uh for what you want to call it rock or metal right so metal usually being it's like that's heavier a lot more gritty a lot more drop d drop c tuning um you know focus on that kind of thing now Dream Theater is a band that I still listen to today. In fact, when I'm going out on runs, because one of my exercises of choice is running, I love to run, uh, I like to listen to Dream Theater. And the reason I like to listen to Dream Theater is because not only does it give my brain a lot to think about, and it keeps me really, really connected and interested in the music rather than, you know, necessarily the running, (laughs) but it has a lot of energy and drive to it because you know it's it's metal it has a lot of uh a lot of angst in there okay so dream theater is a band that i to this day really love i've seen them live twice and if you've never listened to dream theater you know feel free to check them out even if you don't like the music because it perhaps it's too heavy for you or it's too whatever um the reason why i like it it's because of how progressive it is that really exposed me to storytelling in music right of any other kind of music that i've ever listened to um again jazz being one of them but dream theater and prog rock and metal that's really what exposed me to storytelling in music and creating a narrative now dream theater is just about as virtuosic as it gets like put them up against you know, any jazz musician, as far as virtuosity goes, except for that they're classically trained and obviously they're playing prog metal, right? And so these guys are playing incredible solos, but really their thing is playing these riffs, right? They just write tons and tons and tons of riffs that are happening throughout the entire song and they're constantly changing and they'll come back to themes but there's so much going on it's almost unbelievable how they're able to remember all of the songs that they have when they're going out on tour right it's just it's kind of insane especially because their discography at this point is really large um and on top of that they also memorize all their solos they're not improvised solos uh, I'm sure when they start start with them, they they sort of improvise them and then they compose and solidify them. But it's really an impressive feat. And the keyboard player and the guitar player will sometimes play, you know, uh, in sync solos together, right? So it's it's really impressive stuff. And some of their songs, in fact, some of my favorite songs of theirs are 21 minutes long, right? So actually, one of my favorite Dream Theater songs that I really like that would be a good one if, by the way, if you've never listened to Dream Theater before to check out, um, is called Octavarium. So it's O-C-T-A-V-A-R-I-U-M, Octavarium. It's from their album called Octavarium. So it's the title track, and it's 24 minutes long. And it is just to me an exciting piece of music right and I just I love that I, I love that about their music like their music is not for the radio right <laughs> they I, I don't think they've really they've I think maybe once they had one tune that made it on the radio otherwise they're not on the radio. they really have um, a very large cult following of, of of folks that listen to them so it's not it's not top 40 music by any, by any means, right? This is, um, you know, this is, these are true. Like really, they have true fans that go out and see their shows and they, they book out their shows. They book up big, big stadiums, all that stuff. But you know, this is art music. That's the, what I would really call dream theater. It's art music. It is music that is, um, attractive to a lot of musicians in the same way that jazz is attractive to a lot of musicians because of, the musicality that is involved in their music, right? So for example, to give you some more descriptions about when I was really listening to a lot of dream theater hardcore, again, this would be a lot in high school. Like I I was in a I even had a prog rock band, prog uh I guess I would call this more prog rock than metal, but we were I was in a prog rock band in in um high school and these guys were our gods. Like we just like completely Tried to, to imitate them, you know, not that we could because of how good of musicians they are, but just by trying to imitate them, I, I really felt like my my musicianship improved quite a bit just from the attempt of trying to play like them. But another thing that Dream Theater does a lot in their music is time signature changes. And so this was kind of the first exposure for me to music that was played in other time signatures other than like 4-4 and six eight and three four like very classic time signatures so we're talking playing in seven playing in nine playing in 13 playing combinations like one bar of five one bar of seven one bar of four like that's the kind of stuff that was happening in dream theater that is happening in dream theater music and yes of course they have tunes that um are just in four four or six eight but a lot of their songs at least switch time signatures once. And not only are they doing that, it's not just math rock for the sake of math rock. You actually really feel the groove when they're doing it, right? Um, The way the vocalist is singing works completely well. Um, You know, it's kind of like when you hear Sting singing in seven. Um, He does it in such a way that you're not realizing he's even singing in seven because it, it grooves the way they play it grooves. And so dream theater in my mind does the same thing because of the rhythmic element to the metal side of that band. It really sounds awesome. And the way that they play through the time signatures, And that was something that also just astounded me. It's like, wow, like feeling that is so difficult. Like it's one thing even just to feel an entire song in seven, right? Or five, like think about take five by Dave Brubreck, right? It's like, it is difficult to feel five, especially when you're improvising, right? That is hard. So now imagine doing that constantly and you're just... what happens is you just start feeling that time signature, right? It's not that you're counting it all the time. It's that you're feeling it happen. It's sort of like ear training, right? Like you can just hear the music rather than actually thinking about what notes to play over a chord, right? It's just you hear it and it happens. And that's what happens with the time signature. So Dream Theater really exposed me to that. And that obviously happens in jazz a little bit, right? Was playing in different time signatures, especially in modern jazz, which obviously I kind of got into that a little bit, right? Especially moving to New York. And, you know, that's the, this is really where a lot of the modern jazz is, um, that at least gets uh, mainstream. When I say mainstream, I mean, you know, not main mainstream, but that's where a lot of it comes from. Like New York has kind of always been this pioneer of jazz, right? So... You know, these the that exposure to time signatures also further opened me up to this virtuosic element of music, which really, to me, is what got me into jazz, right? Because, again, let's rewind here, kind of abandoned the whole CCM thing. Uh, you know, not necessarily my cup of tea, although bands like Coldplay, the fact that I had listened to CCM music growing up a lot, like hearing bands like Coldplay do it, at least in my opinion, in a way that more resonated with me. That's perhaps why I actually do enjoy listening to Coldplay. Um, not necessarily all the time, but you know, there's elements in the way they play that tug on the heartstrings. Um, So I think there is some of that influence there. But really, when people started showing me jazz, like teachers started showing me jazz or in the jazz band class, they were saying, well, hey, we're playing this music. You should really listen to it. It was when I was listening to jazz that I started going, oh, you know, I don't really quite understand what's going on here. You know, and this is different the kind of music that I'm listening to today. But, man, these guys, this saxophone player is really good. Like, wow, this piano player can really play. And again, I'm thinking about the piano player, the keyboard player in Dream Theater and, like, how good he is. And I like his playing so much. Then I'm listening to jazz and I'm going, like, ooh, this piano player has something that the keyboardist Jordan Rudis from dream theater does not have, right? This there is the virtuostic element in there, but then there's this completely other language happening that sounds interesting. Again, maybe I don't understand it today, but that's what was interesting me, right? Was this virtuostic element of what they were playing. Um because as a kid who had really gotten into music, right? Like, and again, like I was the kid who was like, when I grow up, I want to be a rock star, right? Not necessarily uh, that I wanted to be a star, but I just wanted to be in a touring band like Dream Theater or something like that. That's what I wanted to do, right? It's like every kid's dream, right? Um, But that's that, you know, I was serious about music. So for me, hearing jazz coming from that background of what I was listening to, and being into the virtuosic element, that's what really got my foot in the door with, with starting to appreciate jazz, right? And for some for some people who didn't grow up listening to jazz, like again, as you heard from my story, I did not grow up listening to jazz. My parents did not expose me to jazz music. For me, I had to learn to appreciate it. And the foot in the door was the fact that I had already started to appreciate very virtuosic, very um, progressive, very storytelling styles of music. And to me, that's what jazz was doing. And then, of course, I fell in love with the history of jazz and where it came from and the spirit of it. And I also started to realize, too, that improvisation was the ultimate expression right it was the ultimate expression of freedom on your instrument right so even dream theater that i was listening to i'm like absolutely i'm sure the guys i I know the guys can improvise right but you know all the solos that were on their records like when you heard them go out and play live they were playing the same solos now how they were flawlessly executing them live that's amazing right sometimes you hear like the pop singers like sing live and they're not good (laughs) where the bands are not good it's not true about dream theater like those guys play such difficult music but they nail it in their performances like they play perfectly it's beyond me obviously you can hear that i'm a huge dream theater fan here right but they're not improvising the jazz musicians are improvising and to me that's really what got me excited because I was like, wow, what would it feel like if I could improvise freely like that, right? If I could figure out how to hit the right notes, but at the same time, just kind of play what I was feeling, what was just coming up naturally, that to me was what really got me hooked up into jazz. And I'm sure a lot of you listening That's the same case, especially if you didn't grow up listening to jazz, right? If you grew up listening to other styles of music. So that's kind of how I got to jazz, right? The music I was listening to. And I don't really even listen to a lot of classic rock anymore very much. I still appreciate it. Like, I still um, like Listening to it when I hear it come up, depending on what the band is. But Dream Theater is still a band that I listen to, mostly while I'm running these days. But, um, you know, a couple of years ago, for example, Dream Theater was playing in London. And for my birthday, my wife surprised me and flew us out to London and we went to Dream Theater. We saw a Dream Theater concert, right? So I'll still go out and watch them play because i like their music I, I i i'm always interested and yeah some of their newer albums um since the their drummer left and they have a new drummer not that their new drummer is any worse it's just that you know it's just different the kind of music you know i still like the new stuff they're coming out with but really you know everything from the album octavarium and before um is kind of like that to me is the best anyways that's just my dream theater nerddom coming out here so okay moving on from there now we're in the phase of my life where i'm into jazz i'm hardcore into jazz and i'm only listening to jazz and that's pretty much it right this is the full immersion thing i'm talking about this is the now i'm obsessed with jazz and i want to be a jazz like not. i don't want to be a rock star anymore i want to be A jazz musician a professional jazz musician right and and a lot of you if you listen to this podcast for a while have heard that story and have heard um the things that i did the practicing the year off i took between high school and college the um obviously i went and got a degree in jazz i moved to new york i did the whole thing like i went all in right that's what i did so i obviously was listening to tons of jazz But even while I was listening to jazz, right, I was listening to a very diverse set of jazz. I was listening to um, the classics. I was listening to Louis Armstrong. I was listening to Charlie Parker. I was listening to Miles Davis. I was listening to Billie Holiday. Everybody I was listening to because I understood I needed to listen to the tradition of the music to fully understand it. And on top of that, I liked the tradition of the music. I enjoyed the swing. I got into, again... It started by just being into the virtuosity of it. Then it became an appreciation for the style of music. You know, it became the appreciation of the style of music. So at this point, I'm also listening to modern jazz. I'm listening to the modern jazz that came up in the 90s, like Peter Bernstein. Again, everybody knows I love Peter Bernstein, who is still playing the tradition of the music but he's in the modern age playing it his own way or the more quote unquote modern jazz musicians like Kurt Rosenwinkel, right? So lots of time signatures, lots of non-diatonic harmony, um, more influence on other styles of music like rock, stuff like that. So Kurt Rosenwinkel, Brad Meldow, I've mentioned, and a slew of other musicians uh, largely based out here in New York, right? So, and I'm going to all the clubs and listening to the music and the clubs here in New York. I'm doing all that stuff and I'm listening to all of it. I'm listening to Fusion. I'm listening to Free Jazz, Ornette Coleman. Um, I'm even, uh, you know, going out there and listening to some Cecil Taylor just to see what I can figure out from that. Um, So, I'm listening to all that stuff. So, that's all happening. But then, eventually, right, I'm like, hey, you know... There's more music out there and I and a friend of mine got me really into a musician called Elliot Smith. So Elliot Smith is a singer-songwriter who was mostly based out of Portland, Oregon, although he lived in Brooklyn for a time period. I think he may have lived in Los Angeles for a period of time. Um but very much the 90s Pacific Northwest um, darker singer-songwriter kind of a vibe. And he was kind of a dark character, too. Um, dark meaning I think he suffered from depression and alcoholism and uh, drug use, all that stuff. And that really comes out in his music. But my friends started turning me on to Elliot Smith. And part of what got me excited about Elliot Smith is because I saw that Brad Meldow, the piano player, was covering some Elliot Smith songs. So that kind of also made me go, oh, well, if Brad Meldow listens to Elliot Smith, then I should listen to Elliot Smith too. But then I actually started listening to Elliot Smith and, you know, a, a singer-songwriter, a lot of stuff is his acoustic guitar, him singing and, you know, drums in the background and bass, very simple. But I'm like, wow, this is really good songwriting. And so I went into a huge Elliot Smith phase where... Um, you know, at this it was at this point in time where I had recently met my now wife and she lived in Queens and I lived in Harlem in Manhattan. So that's about a 45 minute train ride to get out there. So I was constantly, you know, going back and forth. And I was listening to Elliot Smith on those train rides, just like obsessed with Elliot Smith. Oh, and the good thing too is I found out that was something that my wife and I or my not, my now wife girlfriend then had in common we We both liked Elliot Smith, like she liked Elliot Smith too, so um so Elliot Smith was someone I was listening to a lot. I even wrote a song that's based off of Elliot Smith um that was influenced by Elliot Smith um. And, uh, I just got really, really into the way he played. Right. And so that influenced some, some music I was writing, like I mentioned. Um, but also it's just the, again, the storytelling that he does in his songwriting is amazing. And again, now this is an interesting thing to point out. I've talked a lot, mostly about how virtuosic music was important to me, especially leading up to jazz But at this point, we're talking about music that isn't necessarily virtuosic in the classic sense of like your fingers can move across an instrument very well, right? Um, Or you can play in tough time signatures, right? You know, Elliot Smith's music is actually in general quite simple, although he does play in some different time signatures here or there. But there's a lyricism to it and there is a technical ability to nail the style and play perfectly in time and express yourself so fully in a completely different way than what jazz or prog rock or metal was offering me. Right. And so that's why that music really resonated with me. So I still do listen to Elliot Smith, obviously not as much as when I was obsessed with his music back when I was you know still dating my wife okay now speaking of my wife my wife introduced me to other styles of music that i was not familiar with so particularly some of these um british singer songwriters that were like americana style but kind of were coming from this scene in in britain and so one of those uh, her name is laura marling and she's one of the most amazing singer-songwriters i've ever heard in my life like not only is her voice incredible and unique um but her songwriting is very deep the lyrics are incredible and the way she plays her guitar is just awesome like very 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 good so my wife turned me on to Laura Marling and we started going out to see her shows together because my wife is a super fan of Laura Marling. Like, she would, like if Laura Marling comes to New York, we're there, right? We don't miss a Laura Marling show. She knows, you know, she, she's the kind of person that buys the album as soon as it's available, right? It, she has it. She has merch. She's like that kind of a super fan. So when Laura Marling comes into town, we're there. And so I started going out to see Laura Marling with her, got more interested in her music. And so Laura Marling is something my wife plays all the time. So I love listening to Laura Marling as well. Okay. So Laura Marling is just fantastic. Uh, And yeah, all this music, it does influence the way you think about music, right? And so it's a good thing to not only listen to jazz. It's a good thing to listen to other styles of music, or like I said, not even just in my case, virtuosic styles of music, but other styles of music that have just as much to offer without all the technical stuff involved, right? Um, So Laura Marling. Now, my wife also turned me on to another singer-songwriter out of that same scene as Laura Marling, and his name's uh, Johnny Flynn. So Johnny Flynn is another just, like, incredible singer-songwriter, great guitar player, but just, you know someone who really speaks to your soul when with his songs. So also, you know, going to all the Johnny Flynn shows when he comes into town and so on and so forth. Um, he actually became an actor and, you know, acted in some, has been acting and stuff, um, as well, but, you know, first and foremost, singer songwriter. So checking out music from that scene as well. Now, more recently, um, um, I think this started on a trip that uh, my wife and I we had gotten serious XM radio because we were going on lots of our of car trips, especially during the pandemic, like 2020, 2021. We did two cross country road trips. I'm not kidding, by the way, two cross country road trips and uh two down country road trips, like from New York down to georgia once and new york down to florida once and one upcountry road trip you know, up to portland maine so lots of road trips so we had gotten sirius xm so that we could have you know all the radio options that we wanted to have so one station that we came across was the dave matthews station he had his very own station the dave matthews band now a lot of people are familiar with dave Matthews Band. Um, now, it's interesting because I didn't know this because I didn't listen to a lot of Dave Matthews before. I I was familiar with his music. I had listened to it before. I just I wasn't a big fan of his music. I was just kind of like, "Oh, that's nice, but it's not something that I'm going to listen to all the time." You know, I I I noticed that there's like some people that make fun of his music, and I think they're not musicians because honestly, Dave Matthews music is amazing. Like his band is so good and it really resonates with the jazz musician as well, because obviously they have trumpet players in there. They have saxophone players in there. There are bluesy elements in his music fused with uh, like his live, his live shows are great or his live albums are great because there is improvisation going on in there. A lot of improvisation happening Uh, with the instrumentalists this in my opinion the songwriting is amazing i love i I think the songs are great they're singable so they kind of scratch that itch of like why pop music works right because there's something memorable and singable about it but at the same time it's it's there's something deeper there than you know some of the top 40 stuff that exists um, out there. So I, I actually we started listening to this channel when we were doing a road trip in Lake Tahoe. Um, and I, actually, was this before the pandemic? I can't remember now. We've been on a lot of, of of trips, but we were in Lake Tahoe, California, and um, making a road trip over there. Uh, from i think we were we flew into san francisco and started there and then we ended up going to visit my folks in uh, idaho so there's a lot of driving and we were just listening to dave matthews radio everywhere and we started singing them a lot and now my daughter loves listening to dave matthews my daughter is four months old and for some reason when we ever we turn on now you know infants love music in general like but when we turn on Dave Matthews, she's um, always very transfixed. So Dave Matthews has become like a bit of a a, a music that um, we'll, we'll just listen to around the house. We'll just have it on in the house. And uh, yeah, I, I actually think Dave Matthews is a great one for a jazz musician to listen to because it has the singer-songwriter in there. It has the rock elements in there. It even has some funky stuff in there. Um, it has improvisation. It has great solos. Um, so there's a lot I think Dave Matthews' band offers. Um, and it offers a very broad appeal to people. Um, so, yeah, I've been listening to some Dave Matthews as well um, lately. Now, this last uh, kind of group, this isn't just one musician or artist um, here that I'm going to talk about. But I think there's a lesson in here that's really interesting that I that e- has even surprised me. Um so a few years ago, um my wife was working for a company called uh Equinox Media. So if anyone's familiar with the um Equinox brand of their like luxury gyms, you find them a lot in bigger cities here in the United States. Um they own another company called SoulCycle, which is basically like you know, a cycling class, a stationary bike cycling class. And, you know, it's, it's fun and all that stuff. So one thing that was interesting is they came out with this Soul Cycle at home bike. So I think like Peloton, right? It's kind of like a Peloton, but for the brand Soul Cycle. So when they came out with this bike, they gave all of their employees free um, Soul Cycle at home bikes, which is, I mean, amazing because these are like worth, you know, thousands of dollars, but All the employees got them for free, which was um, okay, we'll take that. Um, Now, it it didn't fit very well in our New York apartment. Um, Luckily, we live in a bigger place now, but um, it was a great thing to have. And so one th- The thing about the classes really is, is you know, you get the bike, but you also get there's a little iP- uh, not an iPad, but there's a screen on it and you take these classes and it's really based off of music. So obviously they're focusing a lot on, you know, electronic dance music because people like, you know, exercising to that. But they're also doing, you know, music. They'll do theme rides like music from the 90s, music from the 80s early 2000s rock music, right? And again, like that's the 90s and the 2000s. That was, again, that was kind of the music I was listening to a lot when I was uh, a kid on my Walkman. So one thing that surprised me is they'll, they'll have these like guilty pleasure rides, which meaning like music that, you know what a guilty pleasure is, right? It's like music your, um, or food or whatever that you like, but society tells you you're not supposed to like it (laughs) or, you know, it's some, you know, you, I don't know how to describe it other than that, but I think you know what a guilty pleasure is. So one thing on these rides is these guilty pleasure rides is they'll be like in sync, right. Or the backstreet boys or, um, nickelback (laughs) music that I would, I would have made fun of. Before in my life, or just kind of dismissed or whatever, but I, as I'm exercising to this music, I'm actually kind of like, oh, this is actually resonating with me in a way that I it's it's hitting this nostalgic element for me of when I was growing up hearing this music for the first time, right? Um, or Eminem, right? And it's like, whoa, oh, this well, actually Eminem is really I think Eminem is actually really good, but um. So actually just kind of on the side just from being exposed to this particular workout that I've been doing I've I've actually been listening to some of these this music again or like there's that Huba Stank song The Reason Is You it's such a lame song but then for some reason when you're riding an exercise bike to it you're like yeah this song is the best song in the world so it kind of just made me realize that you know music Um, can have an impact on us on on a bunch of different ways, right? And some of the music that, especially that you grew up with, it's always going to have an influence on whatever style of music that you're playing now or listening to now. And the way you express that, and I think the best thing to do is to embrace all of it and to allow those influences to shine through. Or to even ask yourself in your jazz playing, like, you know, in my improvisations, how do I really want to sound like? And so a lot of us will be like, well, I want to sound like John Coltrane, or I want to sound like Freddie Hubbard. I want to sound like Clifford Brown, right? So we're saying those things because those are our favorite jazz musicians. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but how does that um, Elliot Smith song that you really like, how does that play into the way I'm going to improvise? Or how does that play into the way I would compose a jazz song, right? So, This array of influences, both within jazz and outside of jazz, is something that I've learned to really embrace and I think is a great idea for all of us to embrace and to think about how we want those influences to come out in our music. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope that you found something helpful in today's episode. Uh, As always, if you're looking for help and guidance for how to improve your jazz playing, we are totally here for you to help. So go to ljsinnercircle.com and check out our Inner Circle membership. We learn a new jazz standard every single month. We give you everything you need to help get that done. And if you need any other help to fill in the blanks, we have courses for pretty much everything you need for jazz. Okay, so check it out, ljsinnercircle.com. All right, we'll see you in this upcoming Friday's Quick Win episode of the podcast. Until next time, cheers, and hope to see you back soon. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. To the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. That's LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask.